Hey everybody, before we get into the episode, if you are in the Dallas-Fort Worth area on August 22nd, 2019, please join us for Black Women's Equal Pay Day and book launch for Don't Leave Money on the Table by Jacqueline Twilley. Equal Pay Day is a symbolic day dedicated to raising awareness of the gender pay gap. In the United States, this date recognizes how far into the year women of color need to work to earn what men earned in the previous year. In 2019, compared to white, non-Hispanic men, black women earned 61 cents for every dollar. Join us to learn key negotiation strategies you can take to the table with confidence. Throughout the evening, you'll learn why negotiation is so important, the right and wrong ways to negotiate, tips and tricks for success, and how to graciously accept a disappointing result. Plus, you can ask questions and get feedback. The moderator will be myself, Aries Webb Williams, founder and principal of the Service Boutique LLC. Who is this event for? Anyone who wants to learn to be a better negotiator. The books will be on site. Don't leave money on the table. All you need to do is go to blackwomensequalpayday.eventbrite.com for more information. Again, that is blackwomensequalpayday.eventbrite.com. Com. We hope to see you then. I am super excited to be interviewing today a good friend of mine, Sydney Peyton Walton. Sydney is a dynamic marketing and communications professional with almost 15 years experience building, running, and maintaining marketing programs that fuel growth. Known as the startup marketer, for her innate ability to lead small and medium-sized organizations through meaningful growth. Sydney balances proven and innovative marketing approaches to scale organizations while keeping pace with the fast-moving marketing industry. Through her expertise, her employers' clients are outpacing typical market growth by as much as 30%. Sydney is a seasoned tech and finance marketing executive and co-founder of Sydney O LLC, a growth marketing consultancy for small businesses, nonprofits, and associations. This is the Scratching and Surviving podcast where we together will learn what it takes to achieve extraordinary results. And I am your host, Aries Webb Williams. All right, everybody. Well, today I have Sydney Peyton Walton. She is a marketing guru. Uh, I'm so excited to have her on the podcast today. She is how we met was we used to work at the same company. I did not know she existed because (laughs) she (laughs) is in. Are you in Virginia or D.C.? I'm in Virginia. You live right. In I'm like uh, 30 minutes outside DC. It's kind of the same thing. So I, uh, I just remember one day receiving an email because if you go on the company website, there's there was no black people on there for, and you were marketing. Why weren't you on that? VPs uh, and above. VPs <laughs> and above. We gotta so, have rules. Yeah, that's true. So when you look on the website, sometimes you'll look at a company. I know I do. Like if I'm considering working there, and I'm looking at the leadership, and I'm like. There's no people of color, you know, up 
at the top. And VP level, we had a woman HR. And I think there was another woman there. We had a woman, uh, Asian woman. Asian, yes. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm like, okay, well, you know, it's more more common than not that I will not see a black person in a leadership role. You normally will see a, a, a woman in an HR role. Um, that's kind of common. And so I'm like, okay, fine. So time goes on, you know, start the company, you know, start working at the company. And I, you know how on Microsoft Outlook, you can see people's pictures when they send emails. So get an email from the marketing director. And I'm like, is that a system? <laughs> Hold on. So I got excited because the company wasn't a humongous company, but it wasn't super duper small either. But um, I just looked and I was like, oh, that's a, a, a black woman. And it's like, as a black woman coming into a company that's kind of tech focused and you're kind of you know you're not gonna you'll be one of a few women in the room and as a woman of color you probably will be the only one in the room and um, I used to work outside of the office a lot so I was on the client site mostly I'm using the client uh, laptop I don't you know I'm only on the company stuff for internal things that I need to do but when I saw that picture pop up on my I'm like let me look her up and see who this lady is you know but then there's another part that comes in where I was like hmm I wonder if she's cool like is this somebody that I can reach out to um I didn't reach out but when we I had a chance to meet her face to face uh went to DC for a summit and I was like okay I gotta figure out a way how I'm gonna meet her and you know just kind of feel her out and when I did you were very welcoming and oh, come to find out she's from the Bay, which I was like, oh, and she's from the Bay? Wait, <laughs> I'm just like in heaven at this point. Um, so welcome to the show, Sydney. Let me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, that's, it's so funny that that's your story because uh, it's the opposite for me. So <laughs> I found out um, you existed <laughs> very early on because okay. they, <laughs> there was a couple of program directors who were like, who I talked to often mm -hmm. and they were like, oh, guess what? We hired another black girl and she is badass. <laughs> and I was like, did you go out of your way to make sure I knew that? And they were like, yeah. See? <laughs> so I always knew you were him. They're like, you have to meet her. And I'm kind of the opposite, right? I'm like, don't go out of my way to like point out the other black people. Like, whatever, I'll meet her when I meet her. And not, it had nothing to do with you. It was more like, it's really, it, I found it to be sometimes off-putting when I felt like people were bending over backwards to make like the black people connection. Because yes. sometimes, you know, that feels like a dead giveaway that there aren't enough of us. Exactly. That um, is a dead so giveaway. Actually. I think it's funny that you were like, I didn't know she existed for forever because folks were telling me about you like out the gate. Well, you know, you were up there with the higher ups, you know, so you're she always downplays her role. But you had you've been at the company for a lot longer. You had relationships with the mm -hmm. executive level, you know, so you were able to have those kind of conversations with them a little more freely. I was right. new, so I think they were, they might not have said it the way they said it to you, to me. Um, but I definitely was like, once I found out that you exist, I'm like, okay, I need to get to know this lady. So 
I'm glad that we did. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's um, and a lot of this, it's funny that you said, you know, I want to make sure I get to know her and is she going to be cool and welcoming? Um, it had gotten to a point where um, there were executives who, when they hired young, um, like kind of not incoming, but younger professionals that were professionals of color, specifically um, black professionals, they would seek me out. And there was no expectation that I would do anything for them. Um, but I think they knew that I was the kind of person that would make myself available. And it kind of became like a little bit of a running joke, which at the time felt like the best we could do. So I didn't really, you know, but in hindsight, I'm like, gosh, I don't even know if that was a good thing or if that, you know, you look at things more critically and you're like, wow, I wonder if that's actually a sign of like maybe how quote unquote bad things were um, in terms of normalizing diversity. It was always like this other thing that we had to pay special attention to. Um, but I did end up meeting a lot of young incoming. And when I say young, I mean newly tenured um, black employees that I tried to make myself available to, tried to help them navigate what I had learned about that environment, which frankly, me coming in, um, that was the highest ranking job I had ever had when I started. Uh, and they showed me a lot of grace and a lot of reward for my work. And I was able to move around um, and kind of recreate myself when I felt like my career needed a new direction. Um, so I have like no bad feelings about that company overall, but I definitely think they um, struggled with my version of diversity uh, in, a, in a way that a lot of companies do. I agree. So it's funny that you mentioned that. I agree. I think it's a broader issue. Mm -hmm. It's a broader issue than just, okay, a case by case, you know, situation. I think that's really what kind of my mission is now is trying to come up with better ways to make it comfortable culture wise. Right. And it can't be difficult, difficult if you don't have others that can educate people on right. what that looks like, what makes uh -huh. me comfortable at work. Um, there are times where I will come into a, a company. I'm the type where when I start a job, when I'm working somewhere, I don't care what my role is. I'm going to dress nice. I'm going to, you know, always stay professional and all these things. And so sometimes, depending upon the company culture, if it's real, you know, loose and casual, I could get people saying, oh, why are you all dressed right, you up? And you look like you coming from a business meeting and, uh, you know, traveling for work and all this. And I'm like, it's almost a way of kind of sh not shaming, but it is kind of a shaming yeah. you know, way to express that you're tripping off of me dressing nice because you don't want to dress nice. You know, like you want to wear your jeans, wear your jeans. That's fine. I'm not telling you to wear yours. This is what I'm wearing. And this is what I feel. And honestly, I feel like I have to dress like this because it commands a certain level of respect when you dress a certain way. I just, and it's really a psychology type of thing where if I'm too casual with you, I don't want you to be casual with me at work. Like there are certain people that if we establish a relationship, we can be casual, but I prefer us to keep it on a professional level so that it's not too loose. Cause sometimes people will get, you know, that's when certain oh. levels of disrespect come in when you get too comfortable and I don't need y'all cracking those jokes around me. I don't want you to <laughs> don't feel comfortable cracking those jokes, but let's back yeah. up a little bit. I want to back up a little bit. We can kind of get, 
let's start back at the beginning and how you even, um, and I don't know where you want to start with this, but maybe just with you, you know, your first job and how you even got to this level. You know what I mean? Sure. Okay, sure. Um, so my first job, uh, fun fact, was in retail because I was a sneakerhead. And so I was like, let me get that good 40% off. At, um, okay, you're from the Bay. I worked at Sport Mart in San Leandro. Okay, okay. yep, familiar. <laughs> um, but that was my first experience in um, a couple things. So a little bit of background. My mom, my dad, my sisters, somehow I ended up with like a whole family who worked in HR. So I always had, um, I felt like there was always an expectation that I understood what professionalism was like. So even going into that job, I knew much like you just said, you know, I couldn't be too casual. There were kind of boundaries to rules to interaction. Um, aside from like, make sure you show up on time, make sure you, those things, of course, make sure you're dressed appropriately, make sure even if you're just wearing a polo shirt, it's ironed. Um, but understanding that um, I was being judged that I was, like my performance was about more than how much I sold or how quickly I worked. Um, but it had a lot to do also with the way I showed up in all the nonverbal ways as well and all the intangible ways. And so I would consider things like the way I dress and kind of what you just described as communication tools. And I learned those early on. So it's funny. I had a handful of retail jobs after that. You know, that was high school. So high school and through college, handful of retail jobs. But I've noticed a pattern that a month after I would start, they were giving me a key to the drawer. Then they wanted me to be a manager. Then, they, and I'm like, why do I have to keep doing all this? Work? You're like, I just wanted to do the basic stuff. I and... just wanted to do the basics <laughs> and get the discount. I'm a broke college student, and the mall is the spot. And so, let me make the best of this time at the mall. Exactly. That was all I wanted. Um, but the universe, I guess, kind of had other plans, and they were like, no, 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 we're going to make you kind of work to your potential. So when I left school, I think my first job um, that I consider like a quote unquote real job was working actually for the State Department. Um, I worked as a training something something, but it was a lot of logistics, a lot of interfacing with um, kind of fairly important people. So I really had to understand um, how to show up as a leader and command some space in rooms where I was often, like you say, the only person of color, the only woman, um, the youngest, like all these isms, right, working against me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I had to learn very quickly. And thankfully, I had um, a pretty dynamic woman uh, boss at the time. Um, I had at least one that I can recall, LGBTQ coworkers who, you know, really commanded space in these like I mean, we're talking State Department, like Colin Powell's State Department, so fairly right. conservative, um, fairly defense-oriented, because we're in the Iraq War at this time. So I think um, learning to hone the full range of communication skills, um, verbal, nonverbal, tangible, intangible, um, really, really helped move me through that space. So... Yes. I want to Go stop ahead. you with that real quick, just because, see, I feel like where I lacked was I didn't have, I didn't have that. Like, I didn't have, um, I just kind of had to wing it, like what I thought it was going to be like, right? I had 
my mom, she was very professional. She worked as a secretary for, uh, uh, what was it? It was a construction company. And she spoke very professional over the phone, but nine, 90% of the time, it was just <laughs> regular. And so for me, I struggle really hard with how to speak professional, you know, at work. Just simple things that people think is like, oh, well, that's, you know, it's just so, that's how it is. Well, people don't speak like that regularly at home, you know, right? Now we were from Oakland and Richmond. And no, I'm like, no, I'm like, uh, go to the car and close the door, you know? Like, that's how you speak, right? So right. I would literally hold books in front of me and read out loud to hear myself speaking a certain way. Um, but I was a reader, so that helped me a lot to, you know, build up a vocabulary and all that. But that was a, um, I had a, a lot of imposter syndrome when I was uh, going into certain spaces. But I mm -hmm. think that happened after I got kind of knocked down a couple notches after coming in there. Like, okay, so this is what we need to do. Because I feel like I'm a natural born leader. Like, I looked at some old documents that I wrote up when I was new in a you know new job at the phone company and I'm organizing everyone and you know we want to get our systems in order and make sure we're organized and all this and that and bring your bring your ideas and you know all that kind of stuff so I had it in me to do it but I just hadn't really honed it and I hadn't I didn't have someone kind of let me know like it's okay like you can be yourself and right. we're gonna just work through all these kinks to get you where you need to be but but I, I think it's interesting to note the different paths that people take, you know, because you kind of yeah. right away got in there and started seeing that, oh, I need to, you know, make room for myself. Right. Here. And it's funny, it's funny that you mentioned the way that you spoke and having to kind of work on dialect changes. We talk a lot in communications as a discipline about non-regional dialect and how a lot of people from regions that have strong accents work to dilute the sound of that accent when they go into a workplace or move into a particularly professional space. Yes. Um, I was the opposite. I was the like, oh, you talk like a white girl. Right. <laughs> and so I had imposter syndrome on the opposite side, you know, like around my friends and my family and wondering like, do I? And what does that mean? And not that I would like get around my family and purposely figure out how to talk differently, but um, that was kind of, my experience with language is having to grapple with like, what does a white girl sound like? Because I'm from Cal, like we kind of all sound the same to right. me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then getting into a workplace and understanding what that really meant. And honestly, I seeing people of color younger than me that are a lot like what you describe, right? And being able to see like, oh, I am different than them. And maybe I have something to add by like tapping them on the shoulder and not necessarily saying you need to fix how you talk, um, but being able to like recognize that as someone who um, was kind of kept getting put on these high potential paths, um, being able to kind of look around and see other people who maybe had the same potential, but it didn't translate in the same way to people who didn't understand like the cultural indicators that were in the mix. Exactly, because you can be excellent at your job and maybe the way you speak, people are like, oh, like, oh she's talking like that. Yes. That's not, you know, because that's where we get the, the, the code switching, right? Absolutely. Where my mom would be going in, okay, and that phone ring, hello, this is Janet. I'm yes. Like, 
You have your phone voice? Yeah, like, wait a we minute. We all have our phone we voice. Have a phone voice. My best friend, like, if she calls me, every now and then she'll use a block number because she uses her cell phone to call clients and stuff. And so uh -huh. she'll forget to unblock. And I know that's her because she's the only one that does it. And, but sometimes I forget that it's her. So I'll answer, I'm like, hello. And she's like, my phone number blocked. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, girl, hey. <laughs> you know? Like, now I can be relaxed. But it is something that you consciously have to think of the words and the this, but absolutely. Um, I'll let you continue your story because I didn't have this go all the way off. But I think it's uh, no, important no, it's for good. sure. It's communication so, skills, right? Understanding though that um so I think I all of that to say early on I realized that one, there were things that I noticed pretty quickly that I was able to quote unquote fix. Um and then was also able to see them in others and maybe could, that's where you get, like, by the time you meet me, it's no thing for me to say, like, call me if you need anything. Um, or I would get calls from other, you know, black coworkers who were like, I just had a meeting with XYZ person and they really rubbed me the wrong way. And what was that about? And me being able to translate for them, like, mm, that's not really what they meant. Like, I know this person well enough, like, this is probably what they meant. But being able to call that other person on the backside and say, like, let me do a little bit of translating for you. Like, I think some of what you missed is you know what they're saying is x or whatever and being able to bridge um, those gaps bridge those gaps and really like trying not to make that my full-time job like i'm there to do work um but understanding that like that's my contribution to making sure um there are people who like me look like me sound like me come from where i come from who can take a similar path because i've done a little bit of what i can to clear that path Yes. Um, and working both sides of it, right? Not just like getting other people out of their way, but helping them understand like these are the things you control that you can do um, to to bridge that gap on your own. Because I'm not always going to be here, and there's not even always going to be a Sydney in the room in the organization to do that for you. Um, so even today, when I talk to younger people, um, it's funny we connected because I give this talk called "From Babysitting to the Boardroom." Um, and two of the biggest things that I talk about are um, posture and communication skills. And that's a lot of what I say to, you know, the 27 year olds who are still fairly new in their career, but also the 17 year olds yes. who are going to want internships in two years and don't understand that um, you can't just wear anything and you're going to have to interview for it. And recruiters have certain biases um, that even they are unaware of. So. It's just ways to pull it together, ways to, again, show up as a leader and exude those leadership skills. Um, you and I talked earlier about Amy Cuddy and, and her social science work around um, power poses. And I have this part of the talk called Posture Makes Perfect. And that's really around commanding space in a room by the way you use your body language um, and finding that confidence from somewhere. You know, it's no thing for me to like roll up to work, blast in trap music because I know I need to be in a certain headspace from a confidence perspective Yes. Um, before I walk into the building. Pre-game, yeah, pre-game. Right, <laughs> however you need to do it. Because, I, you know, I'm not super young anymore, but imposter syndrome is real. And just because you tackle it once doesn't mean it goes away forever. Um, and that's something that, you know, I struggle with to this day. And I've gotten to a place where I can manage myself out of it. Um, but that's not to say that it doesn't still visit me. You have to practice it because Absolutely. I think naturally... If we go back historically, you know, the history of black people, you know, in this country, just starting out low, you know, you keep your head down, you 
you know, can't look people in the eyes. I mean, you have to totally mm-hmm. reverse all of that because you may have been raised by some grandparents that were like, you just keep your head down, do your job. Right. Go get a job at the post office or the phone company. The government. You sit down <laughs> and you, you know, you do your work and stay there for 35 years, get your pension and thank God that you got a job, you know? And yep. so around our era, um, cause I'm still saying I'm young, I don't care. But around our era, it's like when the, the zennial, you know, you know, uh-huh. the zennials and that generation X and going into millennial, we started kind of questioning some of those things, you know, uh-huh. like, just you know do this I want people to respect me for what the work I'm doing but I thought if I just go in here kill it that is enough work will speak for itself I don't have to be at your happy hours and your social stuff Um, I'm just gonna come in here do my job blow y'all out the water you know do these different things and Mm -hmm. and then you're gonna respect me I'll get a promotion and then Boom. Like, I really thought that's how it worked from the beginning. But over the years and seeing that not be the case, I realized, okay, so there's some other stuff, you know, that I need to do in order to to do that. But mentally, we have to keep ourselves in a positive space in order to even sit at our desk and function properly to do our job. Right. Right. Correct. Correct. And I, I think a lot of that comes from, again, like deriving confidence from wherever you get it, um, because you're obviously there because you're adding value. And you never wanna get to a place where you're doubting that piece of it. Now, if you are, you know, from time to time, we all doubt various things, like can I do this particular project? Or I've done all this work on this project, but now it's time to present, can I do that part well? That's to be expected, and that's the part where I'm like, like I said, you need to like blast your trap music on the way in, on the day of the presentation, get that done. You know, you need to, excuse me, be in the bathroom stall, practicing your power pose, do any of that. Um, But I think on the whole, there's a lot of unlearning that just like you said, we have to do um, just based on the way we were raised. A lot of respectability politics at play sometimes, um, a lot of just underestimating in general and wondering, a lot of doubt coming from, I did this work, I blew them out of the water. I don't understand why they got the promotion anyway. Girl, talk about it, because been there, done that. That happened right. to me. That really, that was a yeah. moment of my confidence, my confidence went down yeah. so, far. so far. When I knew when that I, I knew was that killing, I was it, killing it. it, I knew that I was doing I was doing an awesome job. I feel like I hear an echo. Do you hear an echo on your side? I don't. Okay. Um, I knew I was killing it and I'm like, oh, I know I'm about to get this promotion because it was two positions and it was three people. And one of the people I was helping out to do their job because they were struggling. Right. So I'm like, oh, Uh motivating this person. Like, it's all good. Not tripping because I'm like, I know I'm about to get it. Right. I'm I'm not worried. I'm helping her. So, (laughs) I mean, duh. And when that did not happen, I was like, uh, 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 like Uh y'all playing with me right now, you know? And um, I ended up leaving the company over that. Like, not just like, oh, I quit, but I started looking. And when the opportunity came, I was like, peace, you know, I'm out of here. But it did bring me down a bit. Um, Uh And you got to go through kind of those cycles of uh, 
you know, you might get, like you said, the imposter syndrome doesn't leave. You kind of have to go through these things of building yourself back up and uh, going through those cycles until you kind of build up that muscle of like, you know what? I know my value and my worth. I know what I'm bringing to the table. I'm going to get better in certain areas where I see gaps. Um, And then we just go from there. Maybe this is just not the right opportunity or I need to, you know, be in a different environment. Right, exactly. And I think that's where even, so my daughter is 18 years old now. Um, so she's basically the target audience for <laughs> this babysitting to the boardroom talk that I give. And I'm, I'm coaching her right now on what I call relentless optimism. Um, and it's just seeing the bright side in the challenges. And that's in life and at work, right? Like not every project is going to go the way you mapped it out. Uh, you're going to run into outside forces that are not interested in your success. Um, both as a professional, but more likely uh, as a project. So you're in charge of something. There may be an executive that doesn't support what you're trying to do, doesn't see the value in doing it at all or right now, uh, and you don't get that stakeholder buy-in, and you still have to get it done, right, because you have a boss who said get this done. Exactly. So finding the bright side in all the challenges is, I think, so critical to um, not only – finding job satisfaction, but also proving undeniably that you can function at a higher level and you can perform at a higher level. And I think that's when you get um, leaders and executives starting to take notice. Emotional intelligence. That's right. And um, having, you know, them say like, I know this person had roadblocks and here they are anyway, rolling this out, presenting this, you know, Um, presenting a really strong alternative plan or whatever that is, um, but finding the bright side in the challenges. And it might be something you're not expecting, right? The bright side might be a working relationship that developed as a result of having to recalibrate. And that working relationship ends up serving you more than it ever could. Um, How did you you get like this? How did you, how did you, (laughs) how did you get like this? So how did you get to this going through and maybe you can give us a little bit more about your journey and how you kind of got into these roles, but how did you get this optimism and and all of this? Was this failure trial by failure or was this mentors about a boss that funnily you and I both had Mm -hmm. um, who to this day, I consider a mentor and friend, uh, but I almost quit on him (laughs) when he was, when he was brand new and our work styles and our personalities were just so different. Mm -hmm. And I felt like his EQ was just not mine. Mm -hmm. And I remember, you know, he kind of would come in and I felt like he was telling me how to do my job. And uh, it was so very different than the way I felt like it should be done. And I remember (laughs) a day when I said, so let me get this straight. You just have all the answers and you're the one with all the answers and the rest of us are just here to do what you say. And he, he looked me dead in the face and he said, yeah. <laughs> I can see him saying that too. <laughs> and so I went home ready to quit. Like I'm not working for anybody like that. I'm not working for somebody who doesn't value what I bring to the table and this and that. And he, knew enough to like circle back and walk me through that and kind of get me to that place of optimism in the face of me even seeing him as a challenge. Yes. And we had a lot of talks um, 
about that experience. So to me, that's a real watershed moment in my career. And I tell that story kind of all the time. One, because it's funny if you know him, but two, because um, I feel like it was a real turning point with regard to kind of what I feel like is executive confidence. Um, and feeling like, okay, I can interface with an executive. I can disagree with them. Um, but that doesn't mean that I don't have anything to offer. And it doesn't mean that, um, I'm not as good as I think I am just because they're telling me to do something differently. It doesn't mean that my way was wrong. Right. So I think when you say, how did you get like this? Mm -hmm. Um, there's been like a couple things over time, but that's always the story that I tell. So I think that's probably the one that feels like the biggest turning point for me. Um, I think what also helped though was working for him for all the years to follow and watching him manage many people that way and watching what I feel like were true leadership skills from him. Um, in in that regard and he himself being relentlessly optimistic about the i mean how many times did we go to him with all the ways something couldn't get done right and, and he, he was he just had like a very optimistic outlook on everything i feel like he can see things you know just yeah. meeting him the first time he's like so i mean just from what he heard about me when i met him face to face i felt like he knows, yeah, you, feel you seen, know, right? I'm like, oh, he knows, you know, and he's like, so when are you going here? And we need to just go on ahead and do this and that and yeah. blah, blah. Like, I'm like, oh, he, it, his confidence in me made me feel confident. Like I kind of yep. was like, oh, well, you know, he wrote me a really good uh, recommendation. Yeah. On LinkedIn too. So, <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, I think that, but so that's the story that I say is like to end the answer to how did I get like this? Mm-hmm. But I think the, the reason I feel so strongly about it and the reason that I'm able to do it myself now is that um, I still have strong mentors in my life who ascribe to that theory, who model that behavior for me, who understand it in a way where if I call them with the challenge, they can kind of point me in the direction of the bright side. Yes. I, I can't always see it myself right away. Um, but so really that's a plug for mentors more than optimism yes. is, you know, finding somebody who, um, is strong in the areas where you want to improve or just has something that you want to have, exactly. you know, that relentless optimism, that was his thing. And I just, it's, it's magnetic and it's charismatic in so many ways. And I felt like I watched him work a room of his peers, executives, um, with that optimism and get stuff done. And I was like, I want that. Yeah. Cause see, you can see qualities in people. I think sometimes people will isolate like, Oh, having a man boss and a woman boss and all that. It's really the qualities within that person that you can learn Uh from because executive presence, you know, being authentic, you know, to your style and who you are, your, um, because what is, what is pessimism get you? Nothing. We're not going to solve the problem anyway. Like, okay, so that didn't work what's our next option? Like, what are we, what are all our options? You know, like you got to find a way when you're a problem solver, you can't just go negative. Like, Oh, this sucks. You know, Uh, I'm working with my oldest son on that. Now he is about to turn 10 and he's dyslexic. So he faces a lot of challenges when it comes to certain things with school. As soon as you say school, he's like, I don't want to hear it. You know, he goes because he has to, he totally, you know, he's really, really good at math. Um, reading, he, he's, he beats himself up more than he really should because he's not as bad as he has created himself to think. So when he reads, 
it doesn't sound like you don't know how to read. You know how to read. Right. So it's not, that's not the problem. It's mostly him learning the skills that he needs to make it easier for him to do his schoolwork. What, what are your tricks? What are your tips? Like, don't automatically look at the negative thing. You know, as soon as you see something going, oh, that's going to be hard. Oh, that's going to suck. It's like, why is that the first thing you thought? Like, let's right. try a different option. Like, oh, this is going to be exciting or this is going to be, you know, so I'm trying to work with him on this optimism thing. Like, but it's not easy all the time. Yeah. We like to focus I mean, on negative. It's said it's something like i mean sure maybe some people are quote unquote born with it but uh it is a it's a muscle that you can develop yes i agree and then how about with you know when you're kind of going through the ranks and you know changing careers and and moving up like how did you prepare because you mentioned having mentors how'd you prepare for those roles you know as you're stepping into these different companies and different roles (laughs) Uh, very poorly. Uh, so the <laughs> same boss, <laughs> again, so you mentioned like he has confidence in you that inspires con- self-confidence. Um, one of my first promotions with him, uh, I didn't even know. I, uh, <laughs> he gave I had you a boss. A, he made you have a promotion. Right. So <laughs> I had a boss and, uh, it was a different person. It wasn't him. That person worked for him. So at this point, I'm like two levels away from him. Mm-hmm. And he comes in to talk to me one day and he says, FYI, um, I'm getting ready to lay off your boss. Uh, I just wanted to let you know. And I was like, do they know? Like, what kind of, what, what? Like, what do I and do with so, this information? <laughs> I really like this person. And he was like, you're just as smart as they are. So like, not like, don't be sad, but just like a, it's not the end of the world. Right. <laughs> so, um, after that person was gone, uh, a week or so went by and he came in to my little cube and he said, are you going to move into their office? And I said, no, why would I? And he's like, well, like you're in charge now. <laughs> oh, am I? Am I? So i took another probably week, 10 days. And he had to tell me again. So I finally moved into this office and I'm like, okay, now what am I doing? And then a week after that, I get a new offer letter with a new salary. Like that was my promotion. Wow. He just randomly like dropped it in my inbox. And he with the new salary and everything. Yeah. See, that's not normal. He's different though. He is. He's like, he's rare. We can't even, I don't even want to get people excited because I feel like, that's I know, we're going to have like all these people wanting to work for this man, right? This right. is what you're going to get. You're going to get all these comments asking you who this man is. I know. Um, but so, and let me, but let me take a pause for a second. So if we're talking about professional development at the time, I loved that because I was fairly young, fairly non-confrontational. And that was a raise that I didn't have to negotiate. Right. But knowing what I know now I feel like I got the short end of the stick because what what that did was essentially rob me of an opportunity to negotiate. Exactly. Um, and so it was, like I said, I tell that story because it's kind of funny and because it's indicative of um, my kind of foray into leadership. Uh, but there, you know, it's not always perfect. And it worked for me at the time because I, I didn't have the confidence to negotiate nor the desire to be frank. Um, 
But looking back on it, I would definitely tell a young person, even though that feels cool, negotiate that contract, even though it looks like it's a done deal because it's already in your inbox and it's already in black and white. And you probably will be totally fine with that number. But that's not the point. The point is you don't want to leave money on the table. I just had a girl, a friend of mine who that's her business. Her company is called Zero Gap. And she teaches women uh, how to not leave money on the table, basically. That is her consulting business, right? So she has a book coming out in August uh, when it's, I think that's the Black Women's Equal Pay Day uh, when her book is coming out. It is. she talks about, you know, that negotiation being so important, but I didn't learn until way later that that was even a thing. Like I didn't know anything about negotiating until I read lean in. One of my old bosses gave me lean in to read. Um, and obviously with the flaws that are in there, the one thing there that I go. can remember, I don't remember the other as much of the other parts, but the negotiation piece, I was like, yeah. huh? Yeah. It makes me look good when I negotiate to these people. Yeah. I didn't realize, yep. you know, like it shows your, you know, certain skills to to say that you can have these conversations and negotiate your salary. Um, because the first time that I had a pay raise, you know, a big, big jump was when I left that company that I was mm-hmm. all pissed about. Right. And then the new job was 20,000 more and they knew what I was making. I uh-huh. think they asked me what I was making. Um, and so, so I'm like, that in California. <laughs> I'm like, boom, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I'm in, there's nothing else to talk about. Bye company. See ya. Y'all didn't want to give me a promotion. I got, from, I got money and I'm gone, you know, and I'm, I got uh-huh. this new company that was a great company, but it was, I stayed there six and a half years, five years. I realized I was not making not even I wasn't even at the lowest level of the range. Mm. I should have been making uh thirty thousand more right to start, right? Yep. Not to mention I was halfway through my MBA. I should have negotiated them to do the tuition, you know. Yep. Something. Yep. I mean, I I could think of a million things I should have negotiated at the time. Um, but that feeling of not of leaving that money on the table, it still haunts me now. I'm like, I'm never going to negotiate again in my life. And I think as two working black women, we probably have a ton of working black women friends who all have a horror story about finding out that, you know, they're overqualified compared to their peers, but they're the one making the least. Or, um, you know, like I have two extra degrees, but somehow I'm at a level four and, you know, Chad is at a level five. Right. Um, and I think we all have colleagues, friends, sisters, um, who, who struggle with that, who have an experience like that. Um, I think it's important to remember that that $20,000 that you talk about, don't negotiate from your previous salary as a baseline, do your research and figure out where the industry says you should be, not where you were before. Cause that could have been totally wrong too, which exactly. is the story that you tell. Exactly. So don't use yourself as the baseline for your next set of negotiations. Do your research, find people on LinkedIn who have the title you have or who sound like they're doing what you want to be doing. Now we I have a lot wait. of tools. We have a lot, right. sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but we have a lot no. of tools at our disposal now with technology. Um, but one of the things that she said at the talk last week was, 
find a man. Uh, she always says, find a John. <laughs> That's the word she uses. Okay, find you girl. a John and ask him what is his opinion on what he thinks the proper range for this type of title is. Because if you're asking your sisters, we all probably not getting paid enough. So don't use us. Right. <laughs> right. But um, that's actually what I did to shore myself up because it actually took me. You know, because once you do that now, I know, you know, I got a raise at one point. They kind of brought me to that low number. You know, when I had I had a conversation with my current manager, like, mm -hmm. hey, what's you know, something's off here. He shored mm -hmm. me up, but he brought me to that first number. I've been here five years already. Right. You know what I mean? So when I left there, that means the next job, you know, I go up a little, not too much, um, just enough. But that job after that was the one I was able to, I had gained the skills and I was able to say, look, this is the number that I need to get me in my market value is here, you know, uh -huh, for this uh -huh. role. What my skills I'm bringing now, I got an MBA. I got all these different things, you know, that I'm bringing the experience and all that. This is the number. And if you can right. do that number, then I'll come. And they were like, okay. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I should have asked for more. <laughs> and I think that comes from, it's. I can't wait until, um, I'm super fortunate. I have some black women, close friends who have kind of just agreed to be much more open um, about salary. And I think that's a start. You're right. You yes. can't have only black women as your gut check because chances are we're all underpaid. Um, but if it includes women who work in HR, women who work in recruiting, who have access to a lot of experience with different kinds of people and the way they negotiate, the things they negotiate on. Yes. Um, because, you know, you can't forget if you work for a large enough company, you should be ne negotiating salary, bonuses, Benefits, stock options, vacation, healthcare healthcare, all these things. And so um, I think I am so fortunate and I would encourage um, anyone who doesn't have it to find a group of women, friends, people you respect, colleagues, and see if you can get to a place where a place of trust and respect, um, where you feel comfortable being open uh, about those conversations in particular. Because even if it, um, so perfect example, you know, I have a girlfriend who was open um and one of the other women in the circle was like well my husband works at your company does what you do and he makes more and to learn you know that puts you in a position to negotiate and mm -hmm. i talk it's funny um i talked to her a lot about what's your personal like it helped us dig into what is it about you the way you work the way you interface and we go down that whole list right about what are the ways that you're showing up that somehow makes them think that they don't have to compensate you equitably. Um, and can you shore up all those so that when you get to a place of negotiation, they can't poke any holes in it. I um, became like a negotiating so guru over at where we worked because I was negotiating everything over there. Look, before y'all push me out of here, I'm going to get it all. Um, good. Cell phone allowance, car allowance. Oh, yeah. Um, all kind of stuff. I mean, I was just like, well, hey, you know, yeah, well, because those are all the things that are up for up for negotiation, period. Like, yes. you should feel. And honestly, that's again, it makes you look good when you're an informed negotiator. Um, but two, it also. Uh, how do I say this? It also shows that 
you've been here before, right? Like this isn't new, you're not gonna run over me. And it it crosses over into the way you are treated and respected when it's time to do the work. Yes. So that's something to keep in mind. I would tell anybody who's looking at a way to just kind of tighten up professionally or move forward um, is to be mindful of what you bring to the table. Always know, always be learning about where you sit in the industry, um, how you gather new skills, how you package your experience and your value. Um, there's another talk that I was able to give. It sounds like I sound like I speak all the time and I don't. <laughs> um, but it's really around like creating, using a personal brand that you deliberately created as a platform for negotiation. Yeah. And so figuring out what you want to be known for, how to package everything you bring to the table as like, this is really what you're compensating me for. You're compensating me for being this, this person. Yes. Um, I think it's Carla, is, Carla Harris. Are you familiar with her? She's with Morgan yeah. Stanley. And she yes. talks about like, you tell people what you want to be known for. That's right. You know, you are going to continue to speak these things out. Speak as if. As if. And then, and I'm a witness of that right now. I promise you. Um, because people will be like, yeah, so when they come to me, I know what was in the airwaves that worked because when they're coming, they say, oh, I know that you're into this or you do this. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's working. You know, my, my branding is working because this is actually what I want to be known for. These are the things that I want to focus my energy on. So now yeah. I'm knowing that, oh, it's, this is the real thing. You know, it actually does work when you just continue to say, hey, I'm an expert in these areas. Or, uh -huh. you know, you don't have to blast it off the rooftops, but it's a way that you do it that lets people know, like, oh, when I think of podcasting, I think of Aries, right? You know, or whatever. So um, that definitely does work. I think personal brand, that is, I didn't get that before. Some things, I'm a, I'm a late, um, I pick up things kind of late sometimes when it comes to this whole corporate space and kind of, the professional space is so foreign to my regular life outside of work that I had to get exposed to different air. I had to purposely expose myself to things that I'm not used to. I can sit in a room with C-level executives now and have a confident conversation and lead a discussion and, you know, all these things now, but that's because I started just injecting myself in spaces and forcing myself to get, comfortable with it and say hey you belong here too you know my yeah. friends always say uh, we were in Napa I brought some girlfriends from Texas to Napa last uh, actually the beginning of this year right and <laughs> this is kind of funny but we were it was this fancy like restaurant place outside of the we went to the Brown Estate I don't know if you've been have you been there yeah that's my spot so if you ever go there tell Sean Spot. Sean is my boy. Okay, I always tell people, tell Sean Bomb, Sean Bomb, that he, I love him. So he's like, yeah, go over here and y'all can have drinks and da da da. Like we're going to get, we ready to do some more stuff, you know, right? And there was a pers a private party happening, and it was like all white men up there, you know, in suits, professional. And I'm looking like, what they got going? I'm ready to go in and you know, party crash almost. And it's funny because some girlfriends were looking for us to meet there and they were like, Aries probably up in there, you know, in the other, <laughs> because that's what I, 
that's where they always see me, you know, interacting in so many different spaces. I, I feel comfortable because I'm starting to get comfortable with who I am and my being my authentic self places. Um, but yeah. that does take time. It does. Or it'll take, you know, you have a couple of professional moments that like just flip a switch for you. Yeah. And you're right. Sometimes that happens really quickly if you're paying attention um, or if you're purposely creating things that might, you know, net those opportunities for you. But even if it takes longer, I mean, the point is to get there, right? Like I'm not necessarily where I want to be, um, but I can look back and see how far I've come. And you're right. You can tell that in a lot of ways when people come to you and ask you to speak on certain topics. People come to you and pick your brain for, yes. by the way, don't ever do the pick your brain thing, folks, um, for certain things. Uh, but that to me is a testament when I don't always see my progress or I don't always see the full range of the value that I add. Um, there is some external validation that sometimes will pop up and be my reminder. I think when uh, I, I'm glad you brought up the pick your brain thing, because I've done that before when I was first trying to learn how to network, I would just be like, oh, let me just if I ask you out to lunch, then, you know, we'll see if you say yes. And then, yeah, I won. But I don't know what I want. I don't know really what am I. I'm not considering your time. I'm not considering like what you want to here talking to me about. OK, like I had this opportunity to speak to a lady who I actually ended up establishing a relationship over time. But that initial one, I was like, you blew it. Cause like, I don't know what I want from her. Like I really didn't have an ask, you know? And so I've learned that, okay, if I'm interested in this person for whatever reason, I need to figure out why this, how this can be a symbiotic relationship. How, what value can I offer this person and what they're doing. I need to learn more about what they're into, what they're doing to where we both can feel like, oh, this is cool. You're not just trying to take from me. I mean, an hour of someone's time, especially depending upon the uh, what industry or what their career is, that's money, right? <laughs> My yeah. best friend is a lawyer. She has an hourly fee and one hour of her sitting around just having coffee with somebody is like, uh, you know, <laughs> I got yeah, checks that I need to, you know beginning so being considerate of people's time and really figuring out how you because we all have something that we can add value yeah. in some way shape or form so once you get more confident in what that is that you bring to the table then you can start having those leadership you know conversations with people that are in leadership uh, right. roles that you respect and sometimes it doesn't even have to be so formal i mean i've had so you definitely do your research right and understand that um as in the process of doing your research, a lot of times that's what prompts me to reach out to a person, right? And say, so that even in my ask for their time, hey, um, I'm currently thinking through ways to insert something very specific here. Um, and I, I, I get the impression you're an expert in that space. Can I take you to coffee for 30 minutes? Or do you have 30 minutes at 8 a.m. on a Monday. So a lot of times it helps to pick like some time when they aren't yet on the clock. Um, so you might have a 7 a.m. coffee and that might be really painful if you're not a morning person. Exactly. But you know, the point is to like not be too disruptive. Uh, and then when you get there, you may you maybe don't have a really clear idea on what you can offer them. Um, but being able to say like, well, these are some things that I'm good at, confident in, you know, have worked with people on in the past. 
if you ever find need for those, I would love to work together. Like you don't yes. have to have like a specific, like this is what I can give you. Um, but just having a clear idea on generally what you offer and making that available to them. I agree. And I'm shoot, I've gotten good. I'm like 15 minutes. I'll, oh, yeah. All I need is 15 because if I'm concise and I really know what, and I'm clear and I've done my research, then I can get that off. You know, we can have that back and forth real quick and it'll give you enough to know if you want to have a longer chat with me, you know, mm -hmm. later. So I'm respectful of your time enough to say, hey, just real quick, you know, here I'm going to outline why I'm wanting to meet with you so that you're clear because nothing worse than somebody putting something on your calendar and you're like, what is this for? Like, what are we talking about? Right. You know? <laughs> like, and it's the first thing to get deleted. If I run into, like, if I lose track of my day, you're like, eh, move that over. Can we move that or delete? Yep, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So if you do that correctly, you know, like I said, that can start a relationship. And I've had that happen to me with people who I'm like, oh, we've, you know, after a while, they're like, so what's going on with that thing? You know, they're reaching back out to you saying, so did you try that? And did it work? Because people really do want to see people win. Um, and there's a reason why you are reaching out to that person. Correct. Exactly. All right. So, so I feel like. We are, um, we've been talking for a long time. See, I feel like we can talk forever about this stuff. I'm like, girl, we gonna talk for days. Um, so give me some lasting kind of things about, I know you said you do the talk, the babysitting to the boardroom, kind of what, how do you tie that up when you're giving that? Sure. Um, so I usually tie it up with like five takeaways, right? Because um, a lot of times I have young adults in the room who are like frantically writing these things down, which mean nothing ultimately if you don't understand it all. Um, so I always try to tell them um, posture makes perfect. Be aware of even the physical ways that you take up space in a room. Um, and that's for good and bad, right? Like get to a place where you're positively taking up space in a room, um, but be aware when you're hunched over or your arms are crossed or you're modeling some kind of behavior that's unapproachable. Um, or if you're in a meeting and somebody says something you don't agree with, don't roll your eyes. Fix your face. Um, <laughs> right, fix your face. And there's, um, add so, that. like, and these are things I tell myself. Add that to your, I was gonna say, add that to your list. So when you tell them, like, fix your face, they'll remember. <laughs> if they're black, they gonna remember. Cause you know, your mom tell you, I just tell, I was telling my son that's that right. yesterday. That's fix your right. face. Fix your face. <laughs> um, so I always say posture makes perfect. Remember that. Um, I say arrive prepared, but not rehearsed and get really comfortable with your communication skills. Don't feel like you need to write everything down and then read it off so that it's perfect. Get real comfortable with where you are an expert and can communicate and be able to rattle that off in a really easy, fluid way. But it's not that you're not prepared and so you're just being casual. It's that I know this stuff so well, I can speak about it just like I can speak about sports or music or whatever. So I always say arrive prepared, but yes. not rehearsed. I like that. Um, again, relentless optimism. See the bright side in all those challenges because they build character. And I know, you know, you're probably sick of your mom or your grandmother saying that but they do uh, look for people who can help you overcome those challenges if it's a project or something at work. But honestly, the seeing the bright side is the only way you still get it done. Don't get derailed by the obstacle itself. Uh, empathy as a leadership skill. So what I say to the kids is like, have all the feels, right? Yes. Um, and have 
into your empathy is a leadership skill. It's not just about what your degree is in or what your latest certification is in or, you know, how how well, you, how early you show up every day. Um, but sometimes good leadership is really just about understanding that um, people are humans and everybody comes to the work first as a human. I'm gonna pause for you right there. Connection is very key. I think we're losing that with so much technology and the kids nowadays, you know, it's like feeling is like negative almost, yeah. you know? Um, and I've gone through, I'm trying to, you know, I'm doing my Brene Brown, you know, I'm trying to get more oh. vulnerable, you know, I love her. Girl, Auntie Brene, she is yeah. like my life coach in my head. Yeah, so I watch that, net when I get, you know, it's kind of like background noise, the Netflix special in the house, I'm like, I just need to keep hearing about, you know, what I need yes. to do here. vulnerability and shame. Yes, so I think that's something that we definitely need to tap more into is, our empathy for people and learning how to feel compassion. You know, um, with my kids, we went back to California two weeks ago. My, my dad, his brother had passed away and he had to do a lot of stuff. And so I, we immediately hopped on a plane to help him out. And I had to have this little conversation with them because they're about to be 10 and eight. And so I'm like, this is about him, you know, uh, Yes, Uncle Ray passed away, but he's gone now. And Papa needs us. You know, he needs the support. It's not about you. It's not about what you feel like doing and all that right now. We need to learn how to care about someone else in this moment mm -hmm. and be present with him. And all he wants is to be around you. So y'all just hang on his leg, hang out, go golfing, kind of help him get his mind off of that while, you know, I'm on the other side helping with the logistics stuff. Right, Sometimes right. you just got to take, you know, it's it's something that is very important, I think, to just kind of step outside of what you're feeling at that moment and and step into someone else's shoes for a while and say, wow, like, you know, I can hear you. I see you. I'm feeling, you know, uh, for you or some type of compassion. Yeah. And I do think it's a great leadership skill. Um, and then last, um, just find learning opportunities anywhere you can. Sometimes they're gonna be very traditional, like go get another degree, get a certification. Uh, but sometimes they're gonna be really unlikely places like getting invited to lunch and saying yes. Yes. Or um, watching someone else lead and just paying attention uh, or asking for that coffee, right? So just always be learning and be open to all the different ways that learning happens. I love it. I think that's, I mean, that's how I wrap it up with the kids. <laughs> hey, look, the kid is not just the kids. We need this for the for the grown-ups too. Like I need this for me. I made this talk for me. And then somebody asked me, like, oh, can you come give it to my college class? Like that's how that started. Right. But these were my lessons learned. And I felt like, you know, with my daughter who was in high school at the time, like I needed to figure out how to package this up for her. I needed to figure out like what do I feel like is meaningful for her to know? And so this wasn't about like, let me sit down and figure out what somebody can pay me to talk about. Cause right. let me tell you, don't nobody, like rarely does anybody pay me for this talk. <laughs> <laughs> they will, they will eventually. I think it's good because like you said, I think the youngsters need it because they're entering the workforce, right? And even the ones of us that are in it, we need it as we are trying to figure out how to navigate these spaces and it can really help transition your career and where it goes. So I think this is definitely a good, um, keep working, keep doing it. Like keep going places yeah. and we, you know, doing it because, and I think what I'll do too, um, 
because I am starting a new podcast. Um, I'm keeping this one, but I'm starting another one. It's with a girlfriend of mine named Kim. It's called the Bold Black Girls Podcast. So we're going to focus on everything black women, um, building community, organizing, courageous conversations around things that, you know, are our issues that nobody else is experiencing um, the same way that we are. Because, you know, all of us are unique, but we have a specific type of intersectionality that we're dealing with as women and as minorities, you know, in the workplace. Um, and then learning, you know, so we're going to have a lot of opportunities for us to learn new things and also develop ourselves and try to improve. Right. So that's kind of the focus of what that podcast is going to be about. So I know I'm going to we're going <laughs> to I want to hear some more of your stories along the way on that podcast. We got to bring you back so that we can get a little <laughs> bit more in depth in some of these okay. stories, because I want people to know. I really want black women to know they are not alone. I literally thought I was alone um, so many times, and I thought they were isolated incidents that I was dealing with at work. And I realized the more that we communicate about it, the more you realize it's not. And so building that community is very important. And I think one last thing in the name of just not being alone is we talked a lot about old companies and old horror stories and like, in the name of seeing the bright side, I am so fortunate even now, like I work at a company that I love for a black woman that I respect. Um, and, you know, a woman of color is our CEO as well. Wow. And at the time, I didn't think much about it. I was just kind of like, oh, that's cool. But being here, it's one of those things where you realize it's something that I realize it's something that my career always needed and I never knew it because I and it was always missing. But now that I have it, I cannot imagine um, a career without it. And so the bright side happens sometimes, whether you're looking for it or whether you have to create it or not. And so now I'm in a place where I'm like, oh, my God, I never, ever want to leave as long as these people are here. See, that's what I'm looking for one day. You know, just I think we all want a place where you feel seen, you feel heard, you feel connected. And yeah. I think other companies, even if they don't have a black woman CEO or a black woman boss, can still kind of create a safe culture for every person um, of right. diverse backgrounds. Because we got so much diversity. We have culture, um, our um, uh, religion, our, you know, uh, so many different things that we can connect on. And mm -hmm. if we are starting from the top, actually, yeah. Encouraging that, then people will you will retain so many more of your employees by And that in itself is the bright side. Like in this challenge we call diversity, you know, the bright side is like there's there's ways to fix it and engaging people who believe in the ways to fix it and empowering them to actually make change in your organization makes all the difference. I agree. Okay. I feel like we'll talk forever because you know how we do. Fine, fine. <laughs> But I really appreciate you coming on the show today, and I Thank look forward to much. chatting with you again soon on the next one. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And real quick, before I let you go, because I almost forgot, if people what? want to reach out to you, they want to learn about your business, because I know you got some things happening. We didn't even get into all that. I know, but... right? We got into straight up to the learning and the experiences. Right. So. 
Um, the easiest place to find me is on LinkedIn, Sydney Peyton Walton. Uh, I'm not hard to find. C-Y-D-N-E-Y-P-E-Y-T-O-N-W-A-L-T-O-N. <laughs> Lots of names. Uh, I am on Twitter at Masterly Marcom, M-A-R-C-O-M, just one M on the end. And I am on Instagram at Sydney Writes because okay. y'all know I'm a writer at heart. Okay, good. I'm going to, I'll get all that from you and I'll add it to the show notes so people can connect with you sure. and learn more about you. But again, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to the Scratching and Surviving podcast. To connect with me and hear more, please visit scratchingandsurviving.com. Make sure to join the Scratching and Surviving community. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on your player of choice. Talk to you next week.